this passage, John 3, 16 to 21, and then again 31 to 35. Well, well well-known verses, um, so much so that it can kind of lose some of its meaning. You know how you can get familiar with like your husband and just take advantage of him, right? You get familiar with things and they kind of lose the importance of it. And these verses, especially John 3, 16 and 17, um, we've, people have attempted through the years to uh, try to make an impact of it again. We, if you've been in the church long enough, you've probably heard many stories um, like the two-cow wife in Africa, a wife, you got a cow, but if she was really special, you got two cows for her, right? And that made an impact for that culture at the time. Or the story of the, the little kid who, um, who his sister was going to have a, needed a, 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 a transfusion or whatever or something. And they asked him, well, you're the only one with the same kind of blood. Can you do this? And he thought that he would die and get, you know, if they were going to take all his blood out and give it to his sister, he didn't understand, but he still said yes. So there's story after story after story of people who have made a sacrifice, given it all to, to try to communicate what this gift of God was to us and to mankind. So it's my prayer as I studied this and in God just opened my heart and mind up like he does so often when we study the word of God um, to really how incredible this gift is of Jesus Christ. So let's see if we can't have God's spirit at least do the justice for us here. God, prepare our hearts to just hear you. Hear only you. Amen. So John 3, 16 and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Let's just first look at the motive. What is the motive? God did not have to do this. God could have just scrapped the whole thing and started all over again. Um, But would that have been a demonstration of love? God demonstrates his love in a lot of things. Man, I was out there looking at the weeds. (laughs) It's just the weeds have, I've given up. But in amongst the weeds the other day were these itty-bitty blue, I don't even know what they were, little bitty blue flowers peeking up. And right down the, the, the aisle, you know, a couple more weeds down, there was this bright yellow one. And, and I just picked both of those and stuck them in a little vase on my kitchen window seal. Just delicate, so delicate. And I don't even know, I mean, how many people walk on my yard, whatever, kids running around and stuff, and they, and they miss stuff like that. The beauty and the love of God. God did that and allowed me to see it because he loves me. Little things like that over and over and over again. God demonstrates his love to us. So the motive of his gift is love. And it's an indescribable gift of Jesus Christ. His love was what motivated this gift of Christ. It set him into action. It made him, it it, not made him, it, it enabled him to connect with us. There was broken fellowship 
when man fell. It was broken fellowship. Evil man, we are not connected to God at all. We're born into this world, no connection. Yeah, he's the sovereign God at all, but there's no fellowship. And it was his gift that opened the door to have that fellowship. Humanity, mankind, became an evil, sinful creature. And when you look back and you might even, I remember thinking this when I was in high school. Well, if I was there in the garden, I don't think I would have done that. Anyone have that thought? <laughs> I wouldn't have done that. I would have seen God and appreciated it. That's not true, though. That was a perfect environment. That was para- paradise. And yet, because of whatever happened, the fall of man, free will, whatever, the, the, we're a creature and not the creator, you know, we're not going to solve that mystery today. But if we were there, yes, we would have sinned. And yes, we still sin today, even as Christians. We still choose to sin. And that's an evil nature that we have, that the, the leftover stuff from the flesh that's in us. And that even ushered in death and decay, so that little blue flower... It's only going to last a couple days. The petals will start to fall down, and I'll just throw it in the trash can. It'll only be a brief thing because of sin, my sin, sin of the world. There is nothing, nothing good in us. Everything about us is unlovable. Nothing about us that would attract us to a, attract a holy God to us. God wouldn't look at us and say, oh, yeah, that's cool. I like that about, you know. No, there was so much depravity and so much negative and evil and just contamination. God couldn't even look on us. And that's what happened on the cross when Jesus hung there and died for our sins. He turned his back on Christ because he couldn't look at it. He couldn't associate with it because of the sin that was there. So there's nothing in us that would attract a holy God, and there's nothing in us that could possibly save us or fix it. Nothing. Nothing we could do, nothing we could become, nothing in our own efforts could save us, put us back into a right fellowship with God. But God chose to love us. He chose to love us. He sovereignly determined to love us. He purposed to love us. And then the plan of salvation flowed from the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior. In Titus, it talks about that. In Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4.10, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In 1 John verse 19 of chapter 4, we love. Why? Because he first loved us. And last week we talked about what an amazing love that is. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? I mean, truly, someone can capture the thought of that in a song, and a hymn, and it can live through the centuries. Um, but even that scratches the surface on the, uh, the amazing thing. 2 Corinthians 9.15, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Paul can't even put words to it. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible, und- indescribable gift of Jesus Christ. God loved the world. The world is the object 
of God's love. This flow of dialogue here, there's different opinions on if he's still hanging out with Nicodemus and talking to Nicodemus or not. There's a break in the, the verses and stuff and the quotation marks and all that punctuation verses and chapters, numbers, that's all mankind's adding to it later. Um, I'm going to look at this passage today as if it was a continuation of Jesus talking to Nicodemus. And he's already talking about um, you must be born again and all that stuff. And so he goes into God loved the world, he gave his only son. This is another whoa-ho-ho-ho, wait a minute moment for Nicodemus. Because Nicodemus, the Jews, Israel, they believed that God only loved Israel. God only loved the Jews. That was his chosen people. So to hear Jesus say the world, that was another knock him off of his heels because, my gosh, that's, that's not what we believed. But Jesus isn't teaching a universal salvation here, okay? The world, what he's saying here is that he died for the whole world and the whole world's going to be saved. That's not it. When he makes reference to the world, it's he's saying that for everyone in the world, there's only one Savior. For everyone in the world, there's only one Savior. He died for the world. They don't have other options out there. Nobody in the world can pick another option. He died for the world. That's the only choice that they have. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, John says in 1 John 2, 2, but also for the sins of the whole world. That's the only option they have. He is the only answer. So the Father gave this gift of his Holy Son, gift of the Holy Son. And just let's take a quick reminder back here from our first, our second week, 1 John 1, 4, I mean not 1 John, John 1, 4. This gift of the word of Christ in him was life, and the life was the light of men. That's the gift that he was bringing. That was what his only son was, the life and light was coming into the world. It's difficult to grasp, and our human understanding falls very short. Paul couldn't put it into words, indescribable, um, that he sent his only son. His only son to save the world, to die for the world, the only option out there, the only begotten son. And again, that word begotten is he's unique. He's the only one of his kind. Yes, he was born, but he didn't start then. He, Christ the Son was always with God from the beginning. He always existed. He's eternal, past, present. He is God himself. When he became, when he took on human form. He didn't substitute one from the other. And this is something our minds are hard to grasp. He became incarnate, totally God, nothing missing from that, and totally human. That was a beginning for that. 
Because in the beginning of time, before and everything, he wasn't that human side. So when we look at that word begotten, it is, yeah, the beginning of his, the human combination there of that. But he is only one of, there's no one else like that, nobody else. He's unique, a one of a kind. So he is the eternal God. He was always here. He wasn't a created of, of God. It was who he is, uniqueness. Jesus, God's only son. Now we have familiar terms there, son, father, um, and there's a purpose for that to help us have an understanding as much as we can. But what did, it, what did Jesus really mean to the father? If we have a son ourselves, of course, we're, unless we're a man, we're not totally going to, you know, come a little bit closer to it, but scratching the surface again. What did Jesus mean to the father? Matthew 3:17. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Beloved, well pleased. John 3:35. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. Philippians 2:9. God highly exalted him bestowed on him the name that is above, above every name. God the Father honored, uh, 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 exalted, uh, uh, loved, beheld. These are words. Are we even getting close to, to the relationship that was there? We're never going to be in there because we're not God and we're not going to be able to really understand or have empathy or understanding for that. But there was a, a relationship there that was so strong and powerful that we can kind of get an idea what it's like when we have a child. A child that we adore, a child that we're so proud of, a child that we have just given. We can entrust him with everything, and everything that is mine is yours, and you're, you just, you know, it's just trust and honor. And those are huge. How many of us can really tell, say we have kids we can trust, you know? Not all of them. <laughs> so this is who Jesus was to, to God. And how? How did the Father make Jesus a gift? That's who he was, and yet... He decided to send him as a gift to us. Galatians 4, 4 to 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. He sent him when the fullness of time was there, the perfect time to come, born, that's the begotten part, that human, whatever happened in there, for us so that we can be adopted children in. Romans 8, 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walks not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. That's a wonderful verse. You might want to run that by yourselves again when you get home, Romans 8, 3. And keep reading. The whole, the whole chapter is good. But he sent him to take on sin nature and be 
condemned of sin so that we could have the righteousness and have a relationship with God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He took, sent Jesus Christ, his beloved, perfect son, in who he entrusted everything good to, to come for us, who didn't deserve anything, nothing in us was good, nothing at all. This is an act of love. And finally, the last one, a well-known passage also, Isaiah 53, just two verses, five and six, but he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we're healed. We are, like, we are all like sheep and gone astray. We have turned, everyone has turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid on Christ the iniquity of us all. What a beautiful, beautiful gift he is. But that gift needs to be received. It's received through belief. It's only available through acceptance. The gift with with the guarantee of divine preservation, we're kept forever by the power of God. This gift was coming to us for all who believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's, that's the guarantee. We accept the gift and look at the benefit from it. Anyone, you look at that and say, the foolishness of man to reject something like that eternal life instead of all the, the, the filth and junk that's just here and not here, but eternity, damnation, condemnation is a horrible thing. Because what that means when you're condemned and it's still with you is that you're, it's a guilt feeling the rest of your life for every single thing you've done wrong. Some of us can't go to bed at night with a guilty conscience, can we? I've got to make this right. I feel so bad about this, blah, 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 blah. A thousand times that and never be able to get out from under that or fix that. Jesus is the gift that fixes that. And he came not to condemn the world this first time, this first time he came, but to save it. He came with the gift of salvation the first time. Well, the first time's already gone by. And whoever receives the gift, whoever believes in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, confesses with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, we'll talk about that, has the gift of life and light. So believing in this gift, um, moving on to verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in this name of the Holy Son of God, the only Son of God. So if you, people who do not believe in God's gift, being light or life, they're condemned already because um, they're in that state of condemnation. And the only way to, out of that is through Jesus Christ. That's the only option. They're not going to take it. Then their condemnation stays with them. So the response is needed. The gift needs to be accepted. The first part is believing that Christ is the Son of God. Um, 
And then you have eternal life, the salvation. Recognizing a need for a Savior, acknowledging that he's the only way to be saved from our sins. We talked about miracles and signs that Jesus was starting to perform, turning the water into wine and the, all the healings and the things that he's going to lay out in the, in the scriptures, plus many, many more. But this, and we, always, and we said that the sign, there was a human need and a divine intervention, okay? This salvation is the biggest miracle of all. We had a human need, yeah, big human need, really big human need. It was, could not be fixed. We had a divine intervention, yeah. Who else could do it? Just God. The biggest miracle of all was this gift of salvation. John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. No more judgment. Our sins are forgiven, washed away as far as the east is from the west. We wear the clothes, the brilliant, righteous clothes of Christ's. When we accept this gift, it changes our position. Our position is no longer in a lost, fallen world of decay and destruction and eternal damnation. He takes us, Colossians talks about, he takes us from the dominion of darkness and he picks us up and he puts us into the kingdom of the sun he loves. We change positions, we change nature, we change who we are. Can we do that? Can we do that when we're over here? Most of us don't even want to do that. We're going to hide. We'll find out about the darkness here. We're going to hide. But it's Jesus Christ who offered the way. God called us, tapped us on that shoulder, take, took us from this horrid, hopeless state and put us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. We become princesses and princes in Christ in his kingdom forever and ever. The moment that happens, we're in the kingdom. It starts there, our eternal life. Our spiritual salvation begins with that. Our position changes in who we are in the realm of things in the universe. Can we see it? Not necessarily. We might be a little bit happier, more pleasant, or a glow on our face, but we don't really see the dynamics of that because it's in the spiritual realm. Changing positions. Romans 8, 1, there is, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 33 to 34 of verse 8. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justified him. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of, the God, of, hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Satan's up there saying, hey, God, did you see what Molly did yesterday? And he looks at Satan and he, or Jesus says, she's been forgiven. I didn't see it. Not there. Not happened. Psalm 32, 1 to 2, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. What it's like to have a clear conscience and peace of mind that comes from that. What a blessing it is. Blessed are those whose sins are forgiven. 
The only begotten Son of God is able to do this. You have to believe in him. John, I'm just throwing verses at you because I think God's own words are the best way to describe what this gift is. I'm not going to come up with anything better than that. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4, 12, and there is no salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 1 Timothy 2.5 For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. All right. They have to believe the gift exists in order to receive it you have to believe in it verse 19 and this is the judgment the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil if a person gives no response to the gospel that is their response of rejection isn't it no response is a rejection of of the gift of god their unbelief condemns them i'm not going to believe that that's a bunch of hogwash he was just a man doesn't matter. That's Christianese stuff. You know, my grandma believed in that. That's not for me. You know, that's not cool to do that. You're a Christian. That's not cool. A disbelief condemns them. They stay in their disbelief. Believing in this gift from God is more than an intellectual knowledge of the gospel. Because we already talked about who knows that Jesus is the Son of God and is condemned. Um, well, Satan, they don't get a second chance and all his little fallen angels. They, they, they know that who Jesus is. They know the gospel. They know the message. So believing in this gift that Jesus is the only way includes self-denying trust and submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's two things. You've got to believe in the gift first you got to believe it enough and believe who we are, have a right understanding who we are. And I think that's becoming more the problem these days with a sense of entitlement and some narcissism growing like crazy. Narcissism is a household word. It's just, I think they're narcissistic. Well, everyone has narcissistic traits. But that self-centeredness, there are no narcissists in the church, truly. A narcissist says there's nothing wrong with them. They've done nothing wrong. It's not their fault. It's everybody else's fault. They take no responsibility. Yeah, Jesus can die for those people, but I don't need Jesus because I haven't done anything wrong. So receiving the gift also entails in, 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 uh, an a accurate view of who we really are. A trust then in that Jesus is the only answer and a submission to him as Lord, that spiritual birth, that born again, remember he's talking to Nicodemus still, that spiritual birth produces a transformed heart. And we talked about these verses before when we talked about Nicodemus. God says that he will take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and give you the desire to be obedient to the word. Nicodemus was familiar with those verses, what was happening with that. So there's a desire, you believe and you, you understand who you are and you acknowledge a need for a savior and boom, you get a new heart, you're born again, a heart of flesh and understanding. But if you don't believe in it, if you don't believe you need it, you don't believe in it, you are condemned already. 
Now, the future holds the final sentencing. We're all going to be, there's several judgments, and we don't need to get into them, but for those who reject the gospel, there is a final sentencing, a condemnation, the separating the goats from the sheep. Adios. I never knew your name. Adios. That will be future, but right now, that judgment is happening because they are choosing now not to believe. The condemnation is on them now. It's just merely a consummation in, in what has already begun to happen. They are judged already. They are condemned already because they love the light. For everyone, 20 and 21, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, least his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out. So believing is more than just an intellectual thing. It's an understanding. It's a need for the Savior. And judgment, then, is a contrast between this light and darkness. The object of God's love is the world. The object of sinful man's life is darkness. Why? Because sin, they love sin. They love the darkness because they're in the sin. And you know what? Why would they love the darkness if they didn't know their sin was wrong? Right there says right there. That condemns them already. They know they have to hide. They know they've done wrong. You've seen little kids. They do something wrong. They sneak away. They know. They want to hide. Adam and Eve in the garden. Man, unredeemed man loves darkness because they know their sins are evil and they want to keep them hidden. But we already learned that light came into the world and the darkness did not overcome it. Jesus penetrates right there. He sees it all already. You can't hide from that. The light gives light to everyone. So they're not ignorant. They are, they are willfully choosing to reject the truth. They hate the light. They don't want to see it. They don't want it there because it's going to expose them to who they are. And so they're going to love darkness instead. Nothing can be hidden from God. Um, true saving faith exposes that sin in our lives and humbles us and exposes the fact that we need a Savior. So whoever receives the gift, whoever believes in the Son, has eternal life, receives this gift of life and light. You take the gift, and boom, it's out of the darkness and the sin, nature, and it's into light and life. Who doesn't want to have light and life happening? Okay, we're going to wrap it up here with the last part, verses 31 to 36. And again, this is Nicodemus' conversation with John. And John is the Baptist talking now. He who comes from above is above all, and he who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. This is just right after the verse where he says that Christ must increase and I, John the Baptist, must decrease. This word from above is the same word translated for born again from above. Um, it reflects a heavenly origin. 
So if it's the same term, him from above, a heavenly origin, we're born again, we have a heavenly origin then, don't we? We have a new birth. And it refers to Christ as the one who descended from heaven with this new birth for us, with this gift of salvation, new birth for us. And he's contrasting, John the Baptist is contrasting who Christ is because he must increase and John must decrease. John, in human form of the earth, speaks of earthly things. John can only talk about the things that he's witnessed, that he's, that he's seen and heard. So John's preaching was very powerful, very per, per, um, brought a lot of attention, and yet it was, he was just a man, just a man sent from God. Jesus was God incarnate, God's son sent with a testimony infinitely greater than John's could be. Jesus came with what he knew of the heavenly realm, of what he knows, eternity past and eternity future, of being God himself. His testimony is far stronger. He has spoken of heavenly things because he's of a heavenly origin. He knew firsthand firsthand what was being talked about in heaven, what the Father was saying. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom the God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Jesus is just He's so one with God the Father. He speaks the Father's words. He has the Father's hearts. He's lived with the Father. He's in union with the Father, harmony with the Father. So his testimony is strong and true. He speaks of what he sees and hears in the heavenly realm. John 8, 26. He who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. John 15, 15, when Jesus was calling the disciples friends, I call you friends, he says, all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. And about his enemies, he says in John 7, 46, no one, the enemies were saying about Jesus, no one has ever spoken like this man before. Because he had a heavenly origin and realm and knew the words of God. He was God. His testimony always agreed with God. Jesus' message If you reject it, you're rejecting the truth. You're rejecting God's gift. But those who believed and received it set their seal. Setting their seal on something is in complete acceptance. It's like um, they had a signet ring for a king, but in today's society, it's almost like, hey, will will you sign off on this? Somebody comes and gives you something, you look at it, check it out, make sure it's okay. Yeah, I'll sign my name. I'm signing off. I have given that. I have accepted that. That's good. I I agree with that. That's what it means to set your seal. You're agreeing when you believe the words that Jesus is saying about the gospel. When you acknowledge him as Jesus Christ, you are signing off that God is true. Because that's what Jesus spoke about. And if you don't sign off on that, well, before I get there, 1 John 5, 10 and 11 Whoever believes in the Son of God has a testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning the Son. Boy, who wants to call God a liar? If you're not signing off on it, yeah, that's true. The gospel's true, I believe, and yeah, I need a Savior. Yeah, and that's good for me. 
don't accept that gift, you're basically calling God a, a liar. Oh, condemnation is already on them. It says that Christ experienced the power of the Holy Spirit without limit. That's an odd verse. What does that mean? That the Spirit's ability to empower Christians is limited. Why is it limited in us? Yeah, we have God's Spirit, and we are empowered by the Spirit, and we're filled by the Spirit. And when we sin, we're not so strong in the Spirit. We we quench the Spirit, and we have that, you know, it's kind of like not this, you know, pure thing. We just, we stumble. We we don't have free, Spirit doesn't have free access to flow through us completely because we still make a lot of mistakes. But Christ, who was without sin... He had the full freedom of the Spirit of God to flow in him. He was not limited by a fallen human nature. Colossians 2.9 about Jesus. For in Jesus the full, whole fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. That's what that verse is talking about there. And then finally, in 35, The Father loves the Son and has given all things unto his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The fact that Jesus has received all authority from God the Father is another clear indicator that he is the Son of God. And Paul ends his conversation here. I mean, John the Baptist ends his conversation here with the Nicodemus wrapping it up. John the Baptist's final affirmation of the gospel as he fades away, because shortly after this, he's going to be arrested and beheaded. He fades away like he's going to decrease, Christ's going to increase, leaving us with a belief and a, and a future hope that we will pass from death into life. People who do not obey, and that's, that's evident, it says here, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. It's not by works that we're going to get into heaven, but when we accept the gift of Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord and receive that new heart and are born again, out of that comes a desire to do the right thing and to be obedient. So that's really the fruit that we see that we know when someone has believed. Sinners who refuse to receive God's gift, they are in a current state of condemnation and they will stay there. And the only way out of that is accepting God's beautiful gift. I'll just close with this. Hebrews 2.3 says this, How shall we escape? if we neglect such a great salvation. God, we are thankful that you loved us, that you continue to love us. We are just thankful is a small word, but we can't come up with anything that could really encompass what it is. And because of this gratitude, we want more and more for you to increase in our life in us to decrease. Help us to be filled with your spirit so that we can be fruitful and have a strong testimony to who you are, that you can call those others that you have into the kingdom to glorify you. We thank you in the name of Christ. Amen.